today I've been chatting to Ali Fanshaw. Now, Ali is a parenting language specialist and founder of PhysiKids. She shares her personal experience of adopting two children with educational learning needs plus emotional and behavioural issues, what Ali refers to as being fizzy. She's now reached the stage in her life where she feels able to offer support to other parents. She's a really, really lovely woman and she's able to share really, really helpful information to other parents in bite-sized pieces. I think you'll enjoy this one. Hi, Ali. Hello. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. It's so nice to have you here. And um, when when we you reached out to me and we started talking, I thought, oh, you're going to be a perfect guest for precarious parenting. So, would you just describe uh, your your situation? You know, describe your family. What work do you do? Just tell us a bit about you. Yeah, sure. No worries at all. So I'm Ali. And um, I don't know, I've been through lots of iterations of kind of introducing myself in the last four years since I left work to fully care for my two kids. Because I think, um, you know, just to say right up front, that when you have kids who present with challenging behaviour, you, you know, you, you can quite easily lose yourself. Mm. And you can quite easily lose your sense of identity too. And I'm not kind of starting this podcast with that in a negative way, but just in a totally honest way. Mm. Um, and I've really had to hold on to the fact that I am still Ali. <laughs> so when mm. I say, when I introduce myself as I'm Ali, like I have to kind of stop and remind myself that I am, you know, this is who I am. Um, so I am a mum and I am a mum to two kids I have Fizzy Kid 1 and Fizzy Kid 2, and we'll get to why I call them Fizzy, I think, in a bit. But uh, we adopted them both when they were very young. So Fizzy Kid 1 was just under two, and Fizzy Kid 2 was eight months old. Mm. And they're full brothers, full siblings, uh, quite a different start in life for lots of reasons. So those are my two kids. I also have a Fizzy husband. Uh, Never been diagnosed with anything, but oh my goodness, there is definitely something there. And now I also have a fizzy dog uh, who we just uh, got last summer, who actually has brought so much joy to our family. And he's a crazy puppy, but uh, he is lovely. And yeah, we just, um, I I guess really if I was going to describe our family, we are different to kind of your everyday family but then about 20% of families are because what I've learned over time is that about one in five people and children are neurodiverse or have some kind of special or additional need so we're a minority but we're 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 a blooming big minority do you know what I mean and I I think that has become really apparent to me and also just helps kind of remind me on a day-to-day basis that even though we deal with big stuff and tough stuff that there are loads of other people out there dealing with this stuff too yeah oh thank you for that so um with fizzy kid one and fizzy kid two um I love the I love the fact that they're full brothers and I know that we're not talking about anything about their journey before um they they joined your family 
did you have any inkling that they might be there might be potential fizziness? And I know we're going to talk about what fizzy means, but did you have any inkling before you adopted them? So I think you know everybody comes to adoption for different reasons. Mm. Uh, for some people, it's the last opportunity to grow a family and have their fam- their own family. For some people, they make a decision very early in life that that's the route they want to go down. Um, for some people, they might have their own birth children already, but actually they just feel like passionate about wanting to support another child. So there's, there's lots of reasons why people adopt. And I think when you adopt, you go into it, generally speaking, quite open-minded because we are not in a situation generally speaking anymore in this country where children who are looked after by the local authority system are necessarily given up just because mum got pregnant and it isn't the right thing to do to be pregnant without being married for example Mm. Um, so we are a long long way from that now we are now in a situation in this country anyway where most children who have been through the social care system come from very challenging backgrounds you know they are the most vulnerable children in society full stop and with that will really quite naturally come potential challenges whether it's learning difficulties whether it's trauma from adverse childhood experiences it might be neglect it could be abuse physical emotional abuse so i think uh, you really go into it in a quite an open-minded way certainly one thing i think the uh, the adoption kind of system has got better at is being very honest with right. people who are potential adopters and i i do think that's right you know you you really do have to be prepared for anything mm. so so you know on paper when i saw my first photo of fizzy kid one and read his profile my heart just (laughs) absolutely leapt I was like how could you not want this child you know um but that is on paper and he was only one and you know when it comes to um things like learning difficulties such as such as autistic spectrum disorder or adhd you are not going to see those really show themselves or display themselves very obviously until they're kind of four or five years old so so you're already in a position where there is so much you don't know about these children and i think you know when we had our pre-chat Marie you talked about when you strip everything else away there is only love Mm. well my goodness when it comes to adopting children that is what there has to be left because it it can be you know a really tough ride for many of the kids and their families I I bet yeah I I love what you're saying and and so when um fizzy kid two came along I guess that was a no-brainer for you and your husband, was it? Or yeah. was there more discussion and more consideration to be had before you decided to adopt his brother? So generally speaking, when you go through the adoption process, they say to you, how many children do you, would you be able to or would you like to adopt? And we always said two 
So actually, they paired us with Fizzy Kid One because they knew that there was a Fizzy uh, Kid Two in the process of being created. <laughs> um, so actually, we we were aware when we adopt when we adopted Fizzy Kid One that that the, there would be a Fizzy Kid Two at some point down the line. So yes, it was an absolute no brainer for us. Um, we were very keen to keep the siblings together. Um, it, it's it's difficult, you know, if you think about birth children, well, A, you have nine months to prepare for it um, mm-hmm. while they're growing in your tummy. And once they're born, unless you have twins or triplets, which is quite unusual still, you, you know, you only have one baby to deal with from day one. And often when you adopt siblings, you know, you go from zero to hero in like no time at all. So we adopted Fizzy Kid one in April and um, by September we have Fizzy Kid two as well. So within six months, I had a two and a half year old and an eight month old baby. And, uh, you know, it's pretty intense. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But it is wowzers intense so um so no it was it was always planned and um we we wouldn't change it again for a second and actually you've just you've just jogged my memory here because recently I was contacted by someone through my Instagram account and they were like oh can you tell me a bit more about adopting siblings you know why would you adopt two or three versus one and we went through it a bit and I said there is something really important to bear in mind here I said if you adopt more than one child you're not just adopting two children or three children. You are also adopting the relationships that those siblings have. Mm. So if you adopt two children, you've got two children plus that, that relationship, that bond that they have between them. And sibling bonds in adoption are not straightforward, right. you know, even less straightforward than standard sibling rivalry. So I think, you know, for anybody who is listening out there who has considered this, I I wouldn't ever say no to two or three again, but it's something very important to think about that you're going to have that kind of bond and that relationship to to manage as well as the children. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I think almost we have a podcast about adopting children separately to this one, don't we? Because um, I'm just thinking of people I know who've adopted. I'm thinking about um, uh, family members who are a same-sex couple who've got half-sibling children. You know, yeah, let's do another podcast. (laughs) I'll be back. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you about um, you you beginning to see that you have a a fizzy family, and what does fizzy mean? And how were you able to spot the things that were tinkling alarm bells? And when I say alarm, I don't mean that negative you know, as a negative uh, connotation. Was there anything in your past, in your career, that's helped you? You know, tell us about that. Yeah, it's a a really good question. And I think like many, many things in life, there's no, you know, people talk about light bulb moments. There wasn't really a light bulb moment. It's a slow acceptance or, or growing understanding that 
things aren't quite how you would expect them to be. So I guess, you know, for for parents who have fizzy kids, and I'll, I'll say what I mean by fizzy now. So, so when I say a fizzy kid, what I'm really talking about is a child who may have a diagnosed additional or special need, or they may simply have higher emotional needs because maybe they're taking longer to reach emotional maturity, or maybe they've had some kind of adverse childhood experience or trauma that has impacted their ability to regulate their emotions. Okay, so that's what I mean by fizzy. So it's not just about being neurodiverse, although they may be neurodiverse. It's really more about that ability to regulate your behaviours and your and manage those big feelings that you have. And and my children and many other children who I have met through various groups we run or coaching I've done, I, I would call them fizzy. And when I say that word, so many parents go, oh my gosh, yeah, that just totally sums up my child. They are fizzy, you know. Um, I do have a teaching assistant to thank for that term, by the way. She used to do some one-to-one teaching with my eldest son and I would be like how did it go today she would be like whoa fizzy levels were up here (laughs) and it really got me thinking that it it does just describe it so well so I guess when I when I say fizzy you know I mean like maybe a bit hyperactive but at the wrong times yeah Or, or maybe just flying into a rage for no reason or for a very very slight reason you think oh my goodness how do we go from naught to 100 in no time? You know, how did that happen? Or maybe they're highly anxious and they go and hide away under tables or in wardrobes. Or maybe they're very controlling, you know. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not what I said, mum, even though it was exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so there can be lots of things that, that make them fizzy. But for me, what underpins it is that inability or immaturity around managing their big feelings. So I think with my two, the, the, the stage when you really start to notice it is when they start school. Because all of a sudden, you leave that nursery environment, which is very kind of free flow, lots of play, having fun, kind of having to do what you're told, but you know, you've got loads of staff there, so it doesn't matter if one of the kids run off into the woods because that's enough staff to go with them. And and to, to, to anybody else, they might just look like a slightly naughty four-year-old. You know, there's not really anything else you see there. But when you put fizzy kids into a school environment, all of a sudden, those behaviours may well start to be amplified because they start to stand out from the other children. Mm. So maybe they can't sit on the floor and listen to their teacher for 10 minutes, give instructions. Maybe when they're asked to stand in a line to come in from play, they literally can't do it. They cannot stand in that line. They've got to get to the front all the time, or they're still running rings around the playground. Um, Maybe when they're presented with phonics, they, they learn the phonics, but they can't then translate that into reading. So there's like this massive kind of difference between, okay, I can learn my phonics, I can learn a word, but I can't spell it out in phonic form. Mm. So all of a sudden, these differences start to become a lot more obvious. And that for us was when I really started 
it something really dawned on me that that things were different for my kids because it went from them seeming to be a little bit different in school to all of a sudden really struggling in school right struggling struggling with teacher relationships struggling with children you know chill other children struggling with learning struggling with basic things like sitting in a noisy echoey school hall to eat their dinner yeah and that that's for me when it really started to to hit home mm. and um, what support did you have from schools you said that a a, a teaching assistant came up with the phrase fizzy so obviously there was good rapport with you with that person but how how did you see the uk education system helping you to determine what was right for both your children i think for the first few years there was very little help honestly mm. you know the school was was as good as they could be but when you've got 30 35 children in each class there is only so much you can do for an individual struggling child mm. and uh, i don't blame them for that mm. you know it's uh, the teachers have a phenomenally difficult task to deal with mm. and you know well, i was just talking to a friend who's a teacher the other the other night and she she kept going on about the curriculum the curriculum i was like you're making this thing which should be so you know exciting and engaging you're making it sound like an institution in itself and she's yeah. like that is exactly what it feels like as a teacher yeah. so you know they have all these phenomenal pressures on them and it's very hard to deal with a child who is not conforming in a way that you kind of need the whole class to in order to deliver the curriculum you know um so actually what becomes very powerful are the handful of individuals who are prepared to accept your child for who they are and where they're at and there were a couple of teaching assistants and what's called an ELSA so an emotional learning support assistant who really started to get my kids and they started being able to do things like have small breakout groups uh, do some kind of emotional literacy learning as well as phonics and numbers so really just starting to accept that they needed this extra support in a school environment and that was the first step and that really kind of started us on our journey i guess towards where we are now which is where both my children have full uh full education health and care plans right. so that's the kind of a funded um support plan developed for individual children who need extra help and Fizzy Kid One, who uh, is autistic, dyspraxic, has sensory processing disorder, and also deals with the trauma from his early life experiences, he is at a specialist school. So his education health and care plan funds all of that. And um, that's going okay. Not straightforward, but it's going okay. And then Fizzy Kid Two, now he doesn't actually have any learning difficulties he has something called reactive attachment disorder which is probably another podcast for you marie <laughs> because it is all about broken attachments to caregivers and the effects that that has on children even as young as eight months when they come into their adoptive families 
and that can affect you for life and that can have huge impacts on your ability to regulate your emotions. So um, he is at a mainstream school, but he has full-time support, like one-to-one support within a mainstream environment. And I would say he has 60, 70% good days and 30 to 40%, you know, tricky days. So even having those plans in place, it's important, it's critical because it's kept them in the educational system. Yeah. But it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it easy for them on a day-to-day basis or easy for the parents who's trying to manage those plans as well. So um, there's been a huge, huge learning journey for me and my husband to really get that support in place. And you have to fight for it. You know, you have to roll your sleeves up and, you know, get your pointy elbows out, to be quite honest. I've got really pointy elbows. Can you see them? (laughs) (laughs) And I think you're right. I think, you know, that, that parents do need to speak out. They do need to be heard. They do need to have the courage and the confidence to keep rattling the cages and asking the questions. Uh, And that's why I love the fact that you came on this podcast recording with me. So, and I'm also just sitting here thinking that all the while we've, you've talked a lot about the impact on the, on the child, the children. Um, And often we forget how hard it is for them to be in school all day, how exhausting it is when we, when they're also dealing with, with these issues that they're holding or they're experiencing to actually have relationships, communication to get through each hour of the day. No wonder, you know, they're exhausted when they get home and the parent often gets it in the neck as a result of that too, don't they? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I also sitting here thinking, gosh, you know, I want to talk to you about fizzy kids, which is the work that you do. And I'm just sitting here thinking, when we talk about the spectrum that you described of a child who could be what we're calling fizzy, could be any child at all. You know, we talk about losing the plot, you know, you know, having a having a tantrum, having a meltdown right through to, you know, what your experience with you've seen with your own children. You know, it's um, it's a great term. It's a lovely term. So, so tell, tell me about fizzy kids. Yeah, um, well, Fizzy Kids kind of came about because, to be quite honest with you, I was really struggling with, like I said right at the start, with a a lack of identity. I think it had probably been about a year and a half since I left full-time work. And we'd spent, I've pretty much spent that year and a half trying to manage, help my children manage their behaviours. Uh, So they'd been off school a lot because that was before we had their education health and care plans. Uh, We were doing part-time elective homeschooling. Yeah, that's a real thing, by the way. Um, And, um, you know, it's like I said, it was just a huge amount of work to get their EHCPs set up. But once I started to get some of that in place, I just I just felt like I wanted to connect with the rest of the world again, rather than just be this mum sat behind a desk and shut doors because I didn't want to go out and see anyone because I was feeling so confused and slightly embarrassed about my children's behaviours. And, you know, it was all very, it felt very personal and very scary for, for quite a long time. Um, 
And Fizzy Kids, for me, really came about because the, the decision I made is that I could either sink or swim. You know, sometimes from the pits of despair comes creativity, I guess. And I think the thing that started the, the journey towards Fizzy Kids was that I was like, look, how have I got through the rest of my life? How have I got through my career? How have I got through my own education? Well, actually, the one strength I have as a person is that I'm quite academic and I'm quite research oriented. So I was like, well, I just need to start treating my children's behaviours and everything they're displaying to me and their conditions. Let's treat it a bit like a research project. Let's get stuck into it. And so I did. So I started reading books. I read books and books and books and books. I went on courses. I listened to podcasts. I went uh, and met with coaches. I had individual coaching sessions. And what started to become really clear to me was that this, there was just this, you know, enormous group of children who were struggling in education and at home with their behaviours. But also there were a few things that I just started reading like a lot that started to make sense. So one thing I read was um, anger masks fear. Anger masks fear. And all of a sudden I was like, my children are so angry, but I think they're terrified. I think actually they're angry because they're terrified of life. Mm. And that just started a whole kind of another route of me doing some more research. And after a couple of months or so, say four or five months, the thing that started to stand out for me were buried deep in these textbooks and, and amazing kind of works that people had done were phrases, kind of phrases that helped you think about talking to your children in a different way, helping to respond to their emotions and those big feelings using different words. And um, there's one book in particular, it's called Why Can't My Child Behave? A fantastic book. It's written primarily with traumatized children in mind. But honestly, mm -hmm. I think any parent struggling with behavior with their kids would get a lot out of it. And this wonderful lady, Amber, who wrote the book, just starts to list out phrases for dealing with different situations. Only a few. And I thought, well, this is, this is interesting, but does it work? And so I started to try them out. And I remember really vividly the time when I, when I first tried it out. My youngest son had locked himself in the bathroom. I was terrified because there's like scissors, nail scissors in there and he was, you know, chucking stuff around. And I was so worried that he was going to hurt himself. And in the past, I would have I'd been banging on the door going, open the door. Come on, don't be silly. Open the door. Mummy's here. I just want to talk to you. We can work this out. Come on, come out. Um, and I might even have been trying to force the door a bit, you know, kind of in, in worry, in fear. But instead, I pulled this like raggedy bit of paper that I'd written this phrase down on out of my back pocket. And I read off it. And I, I took a deep breath and I went, look, darling, whatever's happened, even if mommy doesn't like what you've done, I will always love you. Mm. Even though I don't like some of the things you've just said to me, I will always love you. Mm. Even though you do things that I'm not keen on, it will never stop me and dad from being here for you. Mm. 
and it went quiet immediately went quiet in the bathroom and I was like <laughs> I just kind of held my breath and the door opened and this little person came out and I think he was holding like an aerosol can ready to kind of spray at me and I was on my knees whereas normally I'd be standing up hands on hips kind of you know shaking a finger but I was actually on my knees because just saying these words had kind of brought me down too mm. and um we we started talking and I was like okay okay I I think I think this idea might have legs <laughs> and um from then on I made a commitment to myself to try and use more of these phrases and the more I used them the more familiar I became with them the more familiar I became with them the more familiar my children became with them and all of a sudden, that cycle of rage, of anger, of shaming, of us both being in survival mode, because that's ultimately what you're doing. You know, if they're yelling and you're yelling back, your brains have gone into survival mode. You are in fight mode. So you are out of your secondary thinking brain and you are right into your primary survival brain. <laughs> and, you know, it was just a point when I realized that I could challenge my traditional perspectives of parenting and however hard it was going to be, I could change. And in changing, I could all of a sudden transform my family dynamics and, and literally kind of put myself back in control, but not by being domineering and shouty. Absolutely. By being in my secondary thinking brain and talking to them in a way that their brains understood. Yeah. You know? And you know, what, what I hear when you say that, what I hear is you as a parent listening more deeply to what your child is saying, because we can see the anger, but when we, when we drop out of our busy head that's full of anxiety and fear for our own child, we start to see it's not anger, it's fear-based for them. I love that. So, I mean, that really is the fizzy kids journey. I guess everything that happened from there on in was a matter of setting up Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts and learning the, the ropes around technology so I could deliver a podcast and create online courses. And I am now just totally passionate about this this approach um and i don't really do it for the money um i don't earn any money from it at all um i i really just want to share you know those ideas because i think the hard thing about being a parent is that the last thing you really need is a training course or a book <laughs> but actually you know but actually you kind of need that information yeah. so I've tried to really think carefully about how to get some of those phrases across so I do like short 15 second reels on Instagram and I've done an online course but it's in real bite-sized chunks that people can listen to on the school run you know so really making it accessible but you know I, I know from the thousands of people that I now engage with that it works you know it really works and and it's hard like anything new. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, the reason I call it a parenting language is because it takes time to learn. 
it's a bit like learning French or German or Spanish. You don't learn that overnight. Yeah. It takes time and practice and effort and you get things wrong and you use phrases that don't work. <laughs> well, I suppose you know. it's um, it's spotting when when we've we've gone into, you said that, the, the fight mode. It's spotting that because we often don't spot that until it's kind of later down the line, isn't it? So, so Fizzy Kids is a platform for any parents who are concerned about their child's uh, behavior or emotional needs. And they, they have that sense that you had, which was, they don't quite seem to be fitting into my expectations of what I think it should be. And what you're also saying is, um, you know, being fizzy can be a celebration. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, when you have kids who struggle with life, the small things become enormous. Mm. You know, we, we don't have star charts. Um, we, we don't, we don't praise getting A grades at school. Um, we're, we're not in that realm. You know, we praise responding to your brother in a respectful way, even though they have been horrible to you. You know, because actually that is what I want to normalize. I want to normalize my children being able to deal with difficult situations in a good way. Like that to me, that is the absolute golden nugget, you know. And when you hear them start to repeat the phrases and the words that you use, you know, absolutely, you just celebrate it. And, um, and you know, what, what is so amazing is that I'm not neurodiverse, I'm neurotypical. And I'd also call myself quite vanilla, like I'm quite boring, really. You know, I just went to school, I did my work, I got my grades, I went and worked in a bank. Like, I, you know, I'm really quite boring. And um, the brilliant thing about my children, only one of them is neurodiverse, but the other one with his traumatic experiences, you know, it can come across as neurodiverse. But the way they think about life is just so expanding to my brain. It expands my experience of life. And that is amazing. You know, it's just incredible. And, um, and I think, you know, over time, um, you, you just learn to see that and you learn to, to love them for that. And you, you've just got to meet these kids where they're at. You know, you, you've just got to be there with them and um, they will push you away and push you away and push you away, just like many kids will. Um, but it's really just, you know, showing them that however hard they push, you'll be there. And that's what I really love about what you're saying, because throughout this whole podcast, and especially in that the last few minutes, I get a real sense of your steadiness that you call vanilla, sorry, vinegar. Um, but I think of steady because it's the one thing I suspect your children need is a is a consistency a constant level of knowing what they can expect, that stability that they haven't experienced, whether they were too young to, to notice that, you know, they haven't, ex they hadn't experienced that. I love that. Um, I want to just ask you, I mean, you've given so many messages, but if there were one message you wanted to give out to parents out there, what would that one message be? I think the one thing that stays with me every day is 
reminding myself that my children don't like displaying challenging behaviors. They don't like being angry. They don't like being rude. They don't like being sweary. They don't like being aggressive. Yeah. And it's so easy to take those behaviors personally. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to think that they're doing them on purpose. Yeah. And most of the time they are not. They are not doing them on purpose because they're in survival mode and they cannot respond in a positive or better way. They are they are absolutely in fight, flight or freeze mode. And I just have to remind myself. So if I see anger for my kids, I just say they don't like being like this. They're not doing it just to annoy me. They do not like being like this. So what can I do to help them? So it's really about. You know, I, I try and always think, see, can't, not won't. They can't do what, what, they, what, they, what they should do at the moment, not they won't do it because they're being difficult. Yeah. And I love I love what you're saying, because, um, well, two things. It's the innocence of their actions in the moment. They're, they're innocently they're doing the best they can in that moment, even though it appears to us they have nothing else to give. They only can give the feeling that they have. And the fact you're saying as a parent not to take that personally because it isn't personal to you. It's the reaction to their own internal stuff. Oh, I love that. How, how could people find out more about Fizzy Kids? So if people want to listen to your podcast, get in contact with you, you know, do some of your, your bite-size online training, where would they go? Everything's on our website. So it's www.fizzykids.co.uk. Uh, you can find out for our newsletter on there. You can download podcasts, courses, and there's also some kind of free downloads as well. And a couple of early stage chapters of the book that I'm hoping to write eventually. So, uh, and also links to our Instagram and Facebook accounts as well. So everything's on the website. Brilliant. And I'll put that in the show notes so that people can see the link to your website there. Thank you, Marie. Uh, Ali, it's been wonderful talking to you and I suspect we're going to talk again. Um, I wish you the very best. I think your work's fantastic and, um, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realisation Works. Subscribe to realisationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.